You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, and welcome to the 3DMs podcast. Joined I'm, as usual by... I'm Nacho. This is Jake. I'm Paul. And, and Jake decided to step out as the fight song ended, so I'm stealing his thunder right now. <laughs> you know what the worst part was, is I was so ready to just to do it. Like, I was just about to do it with no mic on my head. I've done it a million times. And yeah, you did it. You took that moment from me, Nacho. Yeah, it feels good. <sighs> feels real good. Oh, I bet it does. Courtesy I'm of the content of today's episode. I had to steal this thunder from you. I'm hearing that our sound has come through just fine, so let's have at it then. I suppose. I suppose. Welcome to the 3DMs podcast, everybody. Uh, I'm Jake, joined as usual by Paul and Nacho, because I just have to do it so I feel correct. And this week, we are going to be talking about a little bit of life, mostly death, and one of our favorite things in the world, the Henderson scale of plot derailment, which is just an absolute delight. Uh, so guys, let's talk about death. Gee, I didn't know we'd be uh, talking about something so deep today. I mean, I know I need to get my. Oh, you're talking about player death. Wait, okay. wait, yes. yeah, I, okay. Yes. I thought I wasn't edgy enough for today. No, <laughs> no, but I'm the only one who got the memo to wear black. <laughs> Posers. I like green. I like green. Yeah, no, I, I I'm, it's I'm the not. Color I'm not edgy leaves. enough for today's episode. Anywho, ballyhooing. So, uh. Let's just launch right in because we've got a pretty thick show. We'll do all our plugs and other stuff that we have to do at the end. Uh, death. Death in you. Uh, How does react when a player dies? A brief history of thanatology. So um, obviously the best part of playing D&D is you get to sit around a table with your buddies. You get to have some snacks, some Cheetos, some Mountain Dew, some adult beverages. If that's and you how get to murder rolls. some goblins. And you get to murder the heck out of some goblins. But – Every now and again, something murders you. Sometimes the goblins get you. And you just got to make a little bit of peace with that. So before we get into, uh, you know, just like little DM tips and, you know, I guess overall like table manner for when a unexpected death has occurred. As opposed to an expected death where you probably have a big dramatic scene planned. Yes. Uh, let's do a brief history of thanatology with Professor Paul. Prof P. <laughs> Lay it on me. Well, back in OD&D, uh, they expected you to go to Chainmail for rules on death. But because I assume none of you has a copy of Chainmail cracked open right now, I'm going to sum it up briefly for you. When you reached zero hit points, you were dead, dead, dead. That was it. You reached zero hit points, you were gone. D-E-D dead. <laughs> yeah. Just as Gygax intended. Pretty straightforward. Yes. You're dead. And, and, of course, in first edition, they clarified their, those rules and they added an optional Role where you could survive to negative 10 hit points on death's door, which second edition would, of course, expunge upon where you could go, you could be dying and you'd be bleeding out on the floor and you'd lose a hit point every round as everyone who's played third edition, I'm sure, remembers. But if you reached, I believe it was below six hit points, you'd suffer some sort of major physical injury. Like you'd lose an arm or something if you went a negative six or below. Excellent. And even healing you would put you into a coma for 60 minutes, which Delightful. is pretty rough, but that's the old ones. The newer ones include third edition where you can go down to negative 10 hit points before you die and any healing will stabilize you so you no longer bleed to death. Pretty standard. And of course, in fourth edition, uh, you'd make a saving throw every round and accumulate death saves where anything over a 10 would meant that you didn't continue dying. And if you got a, ten, a nine or below, you'd accumulate a death save. And if you got Three or more, you were dead. That was it. 
Yes. And also uh, for fourth edition too, if you uh, – while you were down and you were getting kicked or stabbed or exploded, uh, you also received a uh, – well, how how far could you go until you died? I believe it was, it was half of half your, your maximum hit, hit point maximum to so, your bloodied negative value. Yes, uh, which are personally the rules that I like to use in my house. But that's then you just house. die if you reach then, that. Yeah, and then so. you just die. Um, and then now fifth edition, we just have death saves. Yep. Um, which there's no such thing as negative hit points, but if you take extra damage uh, to equal your maximum hit points, you instantly die. This almost never happens unless you're like first level and you get splatted by an ogre or you fall 700 feet or a dragon just chomps you and critically hits. Yeah. So let's let's go over, you know, a few of the one fi- fun bit of trivia. Yeah. In third yeah. edition being dead did not actually cause the mechanical penalties. <laughs> yeah. yeah let's we, just we, we are having mic placement problems today. So we apologize for yeah, that sorry if, if any of our audio gets all screwy. Yeah. Um, so let's go over a few little things that we get. Uh with third and fifth edition, uh, things that have been lost, things that have been gained, so on and so forth. Um, first of all, how does everybody feel about fifth edition, the death saving throw system? I think it's fine. Um, it does kind of throw me for a loop because I'm so used to negative hit points. Me too. But I think it's ultimately probably a more fair system because ultimately the goal is that if a character is saved on the brink of death, they can get back into the fight pretty quickly. Um, and that's that's just for ease of play because – a lot of games like video games do something like that with, for example, XCOM or Darkest Dungeon or similar. But those tend to imply that you should have a wide variety of characters you can pick and choose from. Yes. You only have the player characters in D&D. All I know is is that in 5th edition, um, like when I was running 3-5 uh, in Pathfinder, like I usually advise the keep an extra character ready to go just in case. Uh, fifth edition, I don't have that problem because it's actually kind of hard to kill people in fifth edition unless you really, really. It's hard to unintentionally kill people because basically they need to be getting beaten on while on the ground. And usually a monster has better things to do than just beat a person who's currently bleeding and unconscious on the ground. That being said, and we're going to, we'll get more into this, but it can make for a deliciously dramatic moment. Now, I think the only other thing – there's one other thing uh, and I just wanted to gauge feelings on this because we were talking about this on uh, for prep for the show and we you know said save it for the show. Third edition did have one extra rule for dying and that was the mass damage rule. Yes. I believe you took more than 50 damage in a single attack. You had to make a constitution saver instantly die. Which is brutal. Especially in higher levels where 50 damage can be an opening volley. Yeah, it can be. I do remember when we were playing. I thought it was higher than 50, but I know again, I haven't played that yeah. edition in a while. Yeah, I would need to crack open the DMG, but I'm pretty sure it's we'd, 50. Yeah, damage. we'd have to double check the rules. I just remember that I was so happy as my paladin when I got my constitution high enough that I could not fail the mass damage save so I could be the best – I could be the tankiest boy that ever tanked. I did – I what's what you got? 80 damage? It's fine, chief. Let's hold, roll with these punches. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, let's go back to this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, on to segment number one of dying. Somebody fucked up. Yeah. All right. So we'll just assume it's a pretty regular session. You know, we'll say uh, we'll say you play on Tuesdays because that's you know that's a good night for everybody to get together. You got the snacks, you got the chips, everybody's hanging out, and that's when. It happens. You were somebody takes a big old critical and they're already at half hit points, and then they just drop and they drop, and nobody's able to get over in time to stabilize. Or the monsters are played intelligently, and uh, you know prevent, or the enemies are you know prevent you from doing. Yeah, the, they're not uh, going to beat you when there's somebody else currently trying to stab you, but they're going to prevent them from getting you to get you up. You know, and your uh, your death saving throws. Don't save, even though you have a higher statistical uh, percent chance of surviving. And the moment happens. You dead. So just just breaking down how this normally goes, although I feel like a lot of you have already had to deal with this at least once. Uh, First thing that normally happens immediately after somebody dies, there is a sense of shock around the table. Uh... A good example of this was uh, the last time I killed a player character uh, was my ex-girlfriend 
uh, and this was not the reason we broke up. But <laughs> her character died, you know, in a combat, and it was it was a pretty fair death. And like the second she died, she failed that last saving throw. Like, a I hadn't planned on killing anybody that day, uh, but the room just got real quiet and real tense because this was a brand new campaign and like this was just like their first like kind of real test and, and someone's dead and someone's already dead and they're like oh shit we didn't even dip our toes in the water yet yeah and everybody else was like already getting really close to dead and it all kind of hit the entire party at the same time like oh shit this is no place for the weak or the foolhardy yeah except my character in that game i was the jerk so i was hiding out away from the combat just like haha some say my jerk, peons are doing some this say, an opportunist. But moving on, uh, it's hilarious. So you can think whatever you want about the five stages of grief, but I have often experienced that with people who are new to D&D. They speed run it. They speed run the five stages of grief. Any any vet, any uh, any old timey sea salt of a D&D player is just going to be like, yep, shake it off, make a new character. All right. Yep. Death happens. All right. We're good. Uh but for the most part, you know, people who are newer to the hobby, that you know, seeing someone die in game is kind of traumatic, as it should be. Honestly, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Yeah, um, and yeah, and they just they hit the five stages of grief really fast. They feel uh, what are they really quick? They're uh, denial. Yeah, first there's denial, anger, anger, uh, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I believe depression and then acceptance. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in that order, but they speed run those really fast. Like I've seen players who just had a character die. Like no, no, you killed me. You killed. No, no, no. I, I, was, was, I was just in this combat. I believe like, it was Tim oh. who physically tried to take his sheet away from you, and you took it from him. Yes, yes. Uh, when I killed uh, one of my newer players, I don't, he's not a new player anymore. But when uh, when he was a young lad, a he, new player. Yeah, when he was brand new to the game, we played about start. Bright and starry eyed. Yeah, we'd we'd been playing for about three months, and I killed his character, and uh, I took his sheet because I was going to burn his sheet. Something I like to do in in person games, you know, just give the sheet a little, you know, put on uh, my heart, send off, you know, put my heart uh, will go on, you know, a little Celine Dion, and you know, just burn that bitch. And uh, I ran outside, and I said, "Everyone, come with me," you know. And I was going to light it. I was standing out on his porch, and then I feel Tim's gangly ass jump on my back and start reaching for the sheet, like, "No, you can't burn! No, don't burn it! You can't no. do this!" And uh, so I let him keep the sheet because, frankly, the fact that he was willing to attack before it said enough. <laughs> but, <laughs> the emotional uh, impact was there. The emotional impact was there. So the first thing that usually happens is a sense of shock. And that sometimes can happen to you as a DM as well because – Oh, uh, I, I wasn't planning to kill him tonight. I, I had – I looked at my notes. Murdering somebody was not in my intent. A challenge was sure but uh, – As we all know, every day when a DM wakes up, they brush their teeth and think about how many player characters they're going to kill today. <laughs> Usually it's zero but sometimes, sometimes uh, it's not. Real quick, we have a uh, comment from Dan. Friend of the show, Dan. So – Come on, read it on. So his uh, demented DM mind, he found it entertaining when a deity intervene and say, you're too entertaining to die, <laughs> which That's I, fair. Won- I wonder if that means, hey, I'm going to make you my little peon over here or I'm just going to let the shit cannery keep going. <laughs> I would like some clarification from you. But um, regardless, regardless, moving on. That could go either way. So as a DM, you just had a player die. Your immediate first thought after, okay, wasn't actually trying to do that today. That was supposed to be two weeks from now. How do I make this work? Is you have to go by the old vacation rule of location, 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 and just change a couple of those locations to monsters and circumstance. But location, monster, circumstance. So let's say you're in the woods. Let's say it's an owl bear, my favorite monster in the book just to just to put in a campaign because they're fun. They're they ask a lot of questions about wizards in your setting. Yeah, they they it, they just add a bunch of really dumb questions and they're usually good for shock and awe. Um I just I adore owl bears. An owl bear kills an adventurer in the woods. Does it make a sound? And nobody's <laughs> around to see it. Uh actually ah. I had that happen in a game and uh yeah no nobody knew what happened to that player. He went off to go hunting by himself. Owl bear killed him, never seen him again. Awkward. Notoriously dangerous creature. Sorry, Andrew. Uh, Movie God. 
if that death happens, well, it's a tragic accident and I'm sure, you know, a, you know, the owl bear will be slain, you know, by the rest of the party and, you know, the, there will be a funeral pyre or whatever burial rites want to be observed. But then going forward, like, you know, d- do how, people only go out in groups now? Yeah. Or? Do people travel together? Do they reinforce the don't split the party rule harder? Um, do you reinforce that as a DM? But that's just if it if you die to a monster. If we get into the more heavy, like this was a plot line thing. So say you were fighting a group of giants as a side plot. Like let's say there's a village. I'm just pulling all of this out of my butt. Let's say there's a village. And the village was under attack by a coalition of hill giants and ogres that were working together because they hate people. They did not like the fact that this village had fuchsia doors. Okay. <laughs> They're really offended by fuchsia. And it's an offensive color in the ogre religion. You know, and so, and, you know, you just thought this would be a fun way to, you know, do something this week, you know, and just do this ogre hill giant thing. And you have a player die. Well, Suddenly, you have to go, A, you know, you got to think to yourself as a DM, all right, well, they're going to have a bigger vendetta now, and you have to invest maybe a bit more story resource into Why fleshing, they hate fuchsia doors. Why they hate fuchsia doors. You know, suddenly this can develop a plot line. There is a very – there is a good part to having a character die for the most part. Usually, there is a silver lining that can be gleaned from this. Normally, it is the hatred of something – uh, that's severe. We talked about this again for show prep and we found out that the only thing that players hate more than like one of their own dying. Yeah. One of their brothers in arms dying. The only thing that will incite them more is, is having their, their shit stolen from them. <laughs> yeah. You take, you take a group of adventurers stuff like their magic stuff and their money. The rage is palpable. Still- I had 15 gold there. I'm burning your village to the ground now. <laughs> um, but you have to be able to flow with the uh, the response and you have to now suddenly accept what could be a shift in direction for your party. Your party's true north might change if you've had the, you know, the Skeletor type of villain who just pops up every now and goes, you know, and then fades back into the distance. Suddenly they're not really going to care so much about stopping him as – Killing those ogres and their damn fuchsia doors. You know, possibly, you know, possibly inciting a fuchsia door uh, genocide. I'm going to put a fuchsia door on every hill giant's dead body. <laughs> I don't know why we've – okay. No. You're, you're the one that said it. I know. I know. We're going too deep down this yeah, rabbit hole. you opened these floodgates. Yes, I did. Regardless, let's move on here. Are they fuchsia? They're just bright pink. Regardless. <laughs> uh, but – you you know you have to be ready to flow with an adjustment to your plot. Sorry, the the whole thing is making me laugh. Yeah. Um, and then that brings us to the last kind. Did they actually die in combat with like somebody you had threaded as a main NPC villain villainous NPC, um, which is easily the most helpful. Like if you got to kill somebody, it's got to be with somebody who's directly. If it's like the big, big bad man. directly killing one of your players, that's about as good as you can hope for as far as unintentional deaths go. It's like, sweet, I don't have to come up with a new side plot. I don't have to come up for a reason why they hate this guy. No, they just hate this guy to begin with. Hey, Patrick, thanks for finding our podcast, by the way, bud. Um, moving on. If you uh, yeah, if you have the event, if you're so fortuitous that in one of your combats where a lieutenant or somebody who you can easily, like, from Play behind... up as a... As, bad guy. As a bad guy or somebody who can be related to your bad guy, let's say suddenly these uh, giants who hate fuchsia, you know. They're under the command. They're under you – know, guess what? They just became under the command of your big bad Skeletor guy and, you know, you can relate that and weave that in all very nicely and keep that all going forward. Um, and I think that's that's pretty much it on just how you can adapt to the situation. But you're going to have to – we're going to cover a bit more on like how to deal yeah. with the death in the moment. But let's talk about death itself. Let's get philosopher majory up in this bitch. Hmm. hmm. Shan't we? What does death mean? I think it means when you stop moving and you stop I, I breathing. Think, yeah, I think you stop breathing and you stop moving and your brain stops functioning and the heart stops doing the thumpity thumpity. Wouldn't Prove it be it. bad if I gave myself an arrhythmia doing that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> regardless. It, it, it'd be really douchey, but I would laugh. <laughs> I wouldn't even be mad. I would be a little mad, but I wouldn't be that mad. With I'd, my dying breath. That was pretty funny. That was okay. Um, so 
Death. Death in your setting. The final frontier. Yes. Uh, so in Forgotten Realms, death is actually kind of a, you know, forgive my language, but kind of a cheap bitch. You know, like it's – death doesn't really stick. It's kind of like Marvel and DC Comics. I believe it, we made a joke or everyone has made this joke about the revolving door of death where high-level adventures would rarely stay dead for more than maybe a session. Yeah, it gets to a point where, you know, just the the most powerful – there is always a way out of death for the most powerful adventurer. Um, Hey, you just got decapitated. Wait, hold on. I'm back. I'm better now. (laughs) Don't you mean decaffeinated? That too. Um, That'd be rougher than decapitated at high levels. (laughs) But in Forgotten Realms in the standard D&D setting that we now have uh, for 5th edition, you know, just dying is – it ain't that bad. It's, it's it's bad, but it's not that. If bad. you're if at about eighth level, death becomes not that big of a deal. Yeah. Hold on, let's just revive them real quick. If you've got a cleric and Paul, uh, drop the list of if you could the spells in fifth edition that can successfully bring somebody back to life. I'm sure somebody's going to tell me there's a spell in some obscure sub book I missed, but the spells in the core book that can bring somebody back to life or bring someone back to life, so to speak, are revivify. Raise Dead, Resurrect, Reincarnate, True Resurrection, and Clone. Clone the last of these favorite. is not like the others, but yeah. we'll get to that in a moment. So basically the difference between Revivify, Raise Dead, Resurrect, and True Resurrection are how long has the character been dead? Revivify only works if they died less than a minute ago. Revivify is the shock paddle. It's, it's the CPR reviving, and it's the one that most people probably have the least problems with because it's a lot easier to say put the soul back in the body of somebody who just died than it is to bring somebody back who's been dead for 200 years. Yeah, um, and Revivify is um, – Paul and I had this conversation when we were talking about putting the show together. Uh, Revivify is a hilarious spell. In the fact that it actually, like, if you are a DM who does not play this as simulation, but you just kind of go, like, yeah, no, you just kind of do the spell. Revivify has, like, I think the steepest component price out of any third level spell in the game. It's a hundred diamonds. Well, no, it's a hundred G. It's a diamond worth a hundred. Yeah, it's a hundred gold worth of diamonds, whether it be dust or a single diamond or whatever. Yeah, that is. For a third-level party, that's still actually a lot of money. Yeah, it's a decent chunk of that's change. A, that's a pretty solid investment. Also, you have to have it on hand. It's not like you got got 100 gold worth of diamonds in the bank because unless you can run to the bank in a minute, <laughs> you're not bringing them back with Revivify. Hold on. Let's just teleport real quick. Yeah. Let me burn all these components uh, so that I can just use a quick low-level Revivify. If you can, yeah, no, if you can teleport, then you've probably got access to the Raise res- Dead, raise which dead is – or Resurrection. I believe one year, if they died within one year, you can spend 500 gold worth of diamonds to bring them back in exchange for them suffering some pretty heavy penalties for the next four long rests, which is, you know, it's not bad. Um, reincarnate has not that many problems to it, but reincarnate is the on a whole, number le- a whole other level of silly nonsense. Like, at least in this edition, the only things you can be res- uh, reincarnated into are character are character races in the player's handbook. Nacho. But. You had told us about a. uh... Yeah. So uh, one of the DMs I played with, he had completely homebrewed his reincarnation table. So he had a couple different D100 charts. I think he had. You said something about a dragon table, a player race table. He had six or eight of them. I don't remember how many, but uh, he had one table where it was pretty much all dragons one table that was all character races, one table that was all just random little uh, forest a- forest critters, and then the other tables were all mixed up. So he'd roll one die to figure out which, which table, be which table he's going on to, and then rolled that. And our rogue, he got reincarnated as a chicken. <laughs> the ranger who may or may not be based on Link. Had a was, paralyzing fear of chickens. That's why I didn't catch that reference earlier because I don't play Zelda. Was deathly afraid of chickens and the rogue immediately died a second time and got set on fire and they said, yeah, no, we're done. <laughs> See, a reincarnate has some interesting 
really Side quick, effects? Paul, just to step in Go really on, quick. We had, a, we had a comment from a Dylan Carpenter, uh, and his question was, do you let players use the gold in place of the diamond or the other costs? Now, for me, and we're going to launch into this whole charade in a minute, I actually don't allow resurrection spells in my campaign. I like my death to be uh, permanent, but... I do not allow that because I think they need to have the foresight necessary to bring diamonds for Revivify. Yeah, if I'm planning on if I'm planning on casting Revivify and I'm playing in a simulationist game, I'm gonna have that big ass diamond in my pocket, the Hope Diamond. Just yeah, just there. the Hope Diamond, just chilling out, just being like, "Hey, I'm gonna use this to bring people back. I take care of my people." Just chunks of it. It's like it for me. If it's a brand new party, then yeah, I'll let them use the gold in place of it. But if there are people that have been playing for a while. They should know to bring no, some No, they're, they're going to need their components. Yeah, Paul, uh, back to the reincarnate rules. Reincarnate is, I believe, the only spell other than True Resurrection, which is a ninth level spell that revives people without any significant penalty other than having your race randomly changed to one of the player's handbook races. And this can cause some problems because your class features are going to change around. I'm not sure if your characteristics change around. It doesn't mention that. But Raise Dead and Resurrection both – require your uh, your target to take a massive penalty to all of their skill checks and ability rolls. Neat. It's one of the very few numerical penalties rather than an advantage or disadvantage. You just take minus four to all your rolls. Yeah. Though it does make sense considering, hey, yeah, you've, you've been dead for a while. It says that it's a bit of an ordeal to put it lightly. <laughs> I got better. And true resurrection, of course, requires an absolutely absurd amount of money but just brings you back instantly. doesn't even need your body. Yeah. Uh, how much money? Twenty five thousand gold worth of diamonds. Good lord, that's a lot of money. Yes, as I believe I mentioned in the car, it is a king's ransom worth of money, and if you can cast it, well, you deserve to be able to bring them back. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next bit, though, uh, you know, so there's obviously, you know, this creates this great divine ecology now, because except for uh, clone. Which we're going to get to in a moment. Which is a necromantic spell. Uh, the rest of these are all divine spells. And this creates, you know, you have to think about these spells and your divine ecology and how your afterlife also works. So let's say you use these spells. And uh, so you got Revivify, so that person's only been dead for 30 seconds until the cleric goes, clear! Um <laughs> That's exactly how I'd do it in my if I if I had revivify in my game as a spell. That's exactly how I'd be lightning on the hands and. <laughs> well, I, I I see it as more of a. Uh, what what was the wrestler's name? Uh, Tajiri, who uh would spit the stuff in their faces yeah. with with the uh diamond dust just. <laughs> just spit uh, smelling salts worth of diamond dust, a hundred gold of diamonds. <laughs> just spit it in their face, and you're alive. Uh, <laughs> Stop putting that diamond shit in my face. Oh, that's great. Uh, It's sharp. It burns. (laughs) Well, don't die next time. (laughs) But you have to, you know, now consider your divine ecology, Uh, you know, because other than Revivify. There's pretty much clone outside of that, which is the only non-divine spells I believe you said. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Sorry. Go on. You said other than Revivify, all these involve pulling somebody back. Pulling back through the veil from the veil of death. They're, They're going to the afterlife and then they're coming back. And as a DM, this is actually a really cool moment as a DM to flex. If you're working a homebrew campaign setting, uh, you can flex a lot of really cool creative muscle. What do they remember? What don't they remember? Is their memory spotty at best? It, do they have a very clear record? Where do souls go when they die? Yeah. Where do you go when you die and who do you meet on the way there? Um, I haven't had to have this problem with one of my games because – uh, nobody in my current Friday game can stay dead for any serious period of time. So. Oh, well, you need to work on that, Paul. Well, one of them is a revenant, and the other just changes bodies when he dies. Oh, so. that's lurky. Mega <laughs> uh, <Bag of> devouring. <laughs> but Ted the bug will be fine. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Uh, for my setting, for example, because uh, I have done the – Thing where, you know, gods will allow certain people back to life for certain reasons or revenant status, and we'll get to revenants in a moment. But uh, 
when it comes to my characters or people dying in my game, I usually describe to them, I pull them aside and I describe my, how my afterlife works, which is there are a few gates to the, uh, you know, to where judgment occurs and your spirit has to physically walk its ass there. And sometimes well, spirits for get, a given definition of physically, of course, yeah, you know, they have to walk there. But of course, you know, you don't get tired. You don't need to eat. You don't need to sleep. You, you know, it's. It's just a real long walk. It can take you some time uh, before your life, before you get sent on to the afterlife. But that's also how I get ghosts. That's how I've kind of extrapolated that for my game. Um, but for everybody else, it's going to be a little bit different. Once, they, but for me, once they get beyond the veil, uh, only you know, if I were to allow like a literal divine spell, intervention, yeah, they're say they're not getting back across. Once once you're on the other side, you're not getting back across for me. But that's my game. If in your game you want it, you know, like when people die, like they, you know, you can do something really cool with like, you know, the uh, the ferryman of the River Styx. Like, yeah, I believe I did that in to you specifically. Is yeah. You sail down the River Styx and once you pass beyond judgment, you're not coming back. You and I think very alike, though. Admittedly, it can take a long time because there's a huge line. It's a, but it's a big river in there. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people waiting for judgment. People like to die. You can people only pretty good at yeah, it. Yeah, you can only fit so many people on the ferry. Also, yeah. you can only judge one person at a time. God, these mm. gods need to be more efficient. Yeah, I know, right? Bureaucracy at its best. I didn't die just to stand in queue, damn it. Oh, hello. I believe we have uh, a comment. A, yeah, we got a couple of comments we've got to catch up in here for. Uh, so first, we got Dan... Uh, friend Welcome of the show, Dan. Dan. Input on using the V4 D6 as a permanent loss in a random stat after being resurrected. I think that depends on if something. How hardcore you're going. Yeah, a, how hardcore you're going, and B, if like you're really trying to play up that something was damaged. Like, for example, if uh, Paladin got his head caved in by a bugbear, you know, like, and that's, that's how he went down. He might not be too smart after. Yeah, yeah, I know. He might have, uh, uh, you know, forgotten just how to do math. I would say for spells that don't fully restore the body, like True Resurrection or Clone, I would consider doing that. Um, but dying and having to pay for a resurrection spells already pretty traumatic on the players. A little bit, yeah. So I'm not sure if I would personally use that rule. That said, it's worth considering. I would put it in the compendium for things that could happen to you when you die. Yes. I agree with that. I like that. It's like, and it, it seems harsh, but – it would make sense. It would make sense. Yeah. It, de- it depends on how hardcore your setting is. Um, and then the other comment we have is by Drew Hallam. I hope I said that right. I allowed a character to be resurrected by the local cleric that the party brought them to, but they were brought back by God's grace. Their alignment was now that of that God. I believe we're going to talk about that in a moment here, but we could skip ahead and talk about that right now if you wanted. So just finishing up on behind, Beyond the Veil. Um. Any any cool little things you guys can think to add, like just like stuff maybe some players haven't thought about? A better question is, is what happens beyond the veil common knowledge? If people get brought back frequently, surely somebody's gone to explore beyond the veil and bring back what they know. See, for me, I don't really give them memories of what happens beyond the veil, but they may suffer like visions or – some other little horrible nightmares. Yeah, some kind of fluff perk that may build into a story element. That makes sense. I'm just thinking if people do remember what happens, and you have to consider that somebody's probably tried to map the afterlife. Yeah, people are dumb like that. So, um, and Drew had a follow up on that. Uh, the character who now had a brand new shiny alignment used to be a chaotic, neutral evil rogue. A oh, a neutral evil rogue. And now they're probably. They got the a new nicest, life. The nicest guy. Yeah, keep them to that alignment. <laughs> keep them there. It'll be funnier stuff. that way. Yes. So we trained him wrong as a joke. <laughs> um, yeah, let's cover a couple of things we've been wanting to cover though. Uh, clone, revenants, and what was the final one, Paul? Well, you've got the uh, show flow, but I believe we're also going to talk about things that could specifically happen to you when you're brought back. Yes. So clone is an f- interesting spell because it's the only non-wish spell that can revive somebody in arcane magic. It also requires a lot of prep time and a lot of prep energy. Yes. Uh, clone is one of my favorite spells in the game just for exactly how, uh, shall we say, 
forward thinking you have to be and a lot of the implication that can so, be done with it? For clone to work, you need a 2,000 gold piece container that can hold a medium creature, such as a huge urn, a coffin, a mud cyst, a mud filled cyst in the ground, or a crystal container, all of which must be filled with salt water. On top of that, you need a diamond worth a thousand gold and one cubic inch of flesh of the creature to be cloned. And that's interesting because one cubic inch of flesh is a lot of meat to carve off yourself. It's literally, by our rough guesstimation, a pound of flesh. About a pound of flesh. It's pretty painful. This spell is like, we talked about it in the car, but. Oh God! This spell is such a just—it's a good storytelling. It's a setup. discount phylactery if it you is, don't want to be a complete jerk. Yeah, if you don't want to do go full lich, you can go uh, clone, and you know it's yeah, it's a half-ass, it's a diet phylactery. Uh, but it well, yeah, you are. It's also weight. interesting because it's one of the very few ways to overcome aging because you can have the clone be younger. Yeah, it's there's so much. Why I love that spell so much is there's just so much great storytelling potential with it because. First of all, it's a lot harder to hide than a phylactery, and it's a lot less indestructible. Yeah. And second of all, there is just all this great buildup and, like, changing of things. And it's a spell that everybody forgets exists. Like, everyone's like, oh, clone, neat. You know. But then when it comes back up, woof. It, it's a good spell. I like it. It's also, I believe, one of the very few resurrection spells that Jake actually allows in his setting because it requires so much forethought. A, it requires someone. Yeah, you can't just be like, oh, really quick, let me just pop a clone spell. No. You have to have planned this like a month in advance, yeah. at least. And then since I'm a little bit rusty on it, do you have to haul that coffin around with you? Or no. can you just stash it no. anywhere? If, if at any point you die, you climb out of the jar that you put yourself in. And there's no uh, max range on this? No. I, well, at least I believe not. Let me double check just to make sure. Uh, nope. At any time after the clone matures, if the original soul dies... Uh, its soul transfers to the clone, providing the soul is free and willing to return. It's a great spell. It does take 120 days to prepare, though. But so. let's talk about revenants. Revenants. The, you got unfinished business? The other answer to uh, your dead problem, other than just the resurrection spells. And one of my favorite things in the game, because a well-played revenant is a excellent offering to a uh, a player character who just had a character die and they're not ready to move on from that character. Um, when So when, as we talked about earlier, my friend Tim, <laughs> his character died, you know, we had, we had that whole little uh, kerfuffle over it. Uh, that's one of the things we sat down, we went out for drinks and we sat down to talk about his new character because he was, he was a little torn, he didn't know what he wanted to do. And uh, you know, the idea of a revenant came back up. Uh, unfinished business. If your unfinished business is so strong that you're not going to go to judgment, you can become a revenant. Yeah, you can skip ghosting and you become a revenant, which – You get them sweet, sweet ghost powers. Them sweet, sweet ghost powers. Well, mm. you uh, – You are corporeal, if I recall. Yeah, you are a physical entity yeah. and you have uh, – so, by the way, you can get the rules for Revenant in an Unearthed Arcana, which is it's Death and Decay or something like that. It's something along those lines. Well, it, we'll I, drop a link for it. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was the one that had the uh, Grave Domain Cleric before that became uh, a thing. In the book, yeah. Um, we were just called out, by the way. A cubic inch of flesh is apparently does not weigh a pound. Doesn't? Oh, okay, well. I thought it seemed off, but I'm not a mather, well, so. I was trying to be so, poetic and so, quote. Thank you, Carrie. I was trying to quote Shakespeare. You know, whatever. We'll have to. We'll we'll run the official math when we get home. Uh, but it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not something you do easily. Ooh. If you can do math on the cubic in, on the weight of a cubic inch of flesh, we would appreciate it <laughs> because we don't math too well. That's a weird wolf from just as as somebody who works in construction. I know a cubic inch of if I were to just take it from the stretchy flesh on my back, be a be a lot of flesh on my back. <laughs> um, but Back to what we were talking about. Revenants have a lot of great powers. Um, they're very fun character-wise in that they are driven. They have to do one very specific goal. And then they just sort of dissipate after that goal is And completed. then, yeah, and then once that goal is completed, they just kind of die. But they have a lot of great built-in powers. Um, we don't have the sheet in front of us, but uh, from the top of my nog, it's stuff like getting uh, – you have a constant idea of where your objective is. 
and it's like you get headaches if you're not chasing your objective. So role playing a revenant can be kind of fun. Uh, the thing that it makes me think of is the master from Doctor Who, when David Tennant was a uh, doctor. You know, just the constant in your head when you're not following your objective. That's good role playing stuff. Uh, also, they have the hilarious ability of being able to be completely murdered, destroyed, and blown up, and having still not, come back, not a single trace of their body left. And then just showing up a day later, just being like, yeah, that happened. Yeah, dying ain't nobody got time for that. That hey. sucked. Let's try to avoid that. Yeah, let's try to avoid that again. Um, it's a good option for player characters who are, A, still really attached to the character. And, B, have a very specific goal in mind. Yes. You know, because if they're just like, I just want to, you know. I want to be the richest man in the world isn't going to cut it, but I want to avenge my family, Will. Yeah, avenge the family or, you know, finish this adventure might seem a little vague, but if it's, you know. If you have a very specific goal, like kill this lich, yeah, that would work. Then yeah, it works. And if you're not strong enough to kill said lich, but you're already there, just every day, just keep coming back. Just keep harassing it until eventually you succeed. One of these days. You'll figure it out. And just drive it crazy. How many times do I have to kill you? Well, we're on a 965 right now, so... I estimate another 35 times. So, yeah, let's keep going. But beside all that, we should talk about what could happen if you aren't a revenant and need to come back. Ain't much. There uh, there, there really ain't much that you can do to come on back now, other than, uh, I mean, there's always ghost options. And more importantly, what's probably going to happen is you're probably going to have to make a new character. Yeah. So how do you introduce a new character to the party? (laughs) What a conveniently well-placed fifth-level adventurer that happens to have the right amount of magical equipment that also just so happened to show up in this very dungeon we were in. Bless. I am so happy we have him here. It's always really complicated adding a new character to the mix. It's less so if you're in a city, for example, where it'd be a reasonable thing to run across a appropriately powered adventurer. But in a dungeon or in a forest or in the wilderness, it can be difficult to reasonably add a new character because you don't want the player sitting on their hands, obviously. And for two sessions will also it never feels good to hit the tropes either. Like some things are just like super obvious, but sometimes you just kind of gotta do it because you have to get you know you have to get this player back in the game. You know, like it never feels good to do the. Oh, well, in the next three rooms of the dungeons, after you went through one room and another room, there was a conveniently very powerful adventurer tied up who had been going it alone and had somehow gotten this far. This isn't left for dead. You're not going to find a random closet with an extra survivor in there. But you can. You could. I wouldn't blame you if you did. It's very expedient. But Or uh, yeah. what I generally do is I'll have a couple uh, little side hooks where it's, okay, sweet. They're getting assistance here. Like, oh, you can't pass this. Or you could do what I do and have a miscellaneous crowd of hangers on for people to switch into the body to and instantly become super badasses when convenient. Yeah. <laughs> it's one way to do it. It's one way to do it. Um, obviously, so when a person has a character die, if they were, you know, again, unless they're like the old sea salt of. D&D players where they're just like, yep. All right, I got my next one right here. Ready? Yep. Already ready for it. Yep. Oh, I know what I want to do. Yep. Okay. Let's just, how, how are we going to tie this in? Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, what, what level are you putting me at? Okay. Sweet. Uh, Let see me just in, go in my binder here, pull out an appropriate character level. Here we go. See in five minutes. Yeah. Okay. There yep, are, yeah. There are those people. If you don't have one of those people who just died and you have a very new person, sometimes you're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to have a long conversation with them. Um, feelings can be hurt by a player death. And you're definitely going to have to sit there and, like, try to, again, constantly remind, you know, sometimes constantly remind this person that this was not personal. <laughs> nothing personal. This was <laughs> – sorry. <laughs> nothing, nothing personal. I just killed the character you were emotionally invested yeah, in. Yeah, you were super – you know, especially for, you know, well, first-time players especially. Like, anytime you you pop the cherry on killing a player, it's rough. There, it sucks. I, I still remember my first character death. Tell us about it, Nacho. I was a very young lad, and eventually I got my dad to uh, run a little one-shot for me so I could Wet your first, feet a little? First, first play Dungeons & Dragons as a very small child. I was a human fighter. Don't remember what name I picked, 
But 10 to 15 minutes into starting in a tavern, I was dead <laughs> because I started a bar fight. Well, that's uh, it's kind of your fault, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It was definitely my fault. And that's when I learned, hey, this isn't video game where you just kill everything. You do have power limits. You have to consider your options. So we could talk about specifically uh, – What's the difference between a character doing something dumb and getting killed and the dice just hating you and getting killed? Yeah, that is definitely something we can cover. Um, so, for example, starting a random bar fight is a good way of you getting your own dumb self killed. Yeah. But getting accidentally crit three times in a row is not really your fault as much as spectacular bad luck. Yeah, no, I've, you know, there are definitely times where, you know, I look at DMs who just go, I do what the dice say. And I am a slave to the dice. They never call themselves a slave to the dice, but they are. But it's like, damn it, man, have a little bit of compassion. Oh, no, I've I've fudged crits into regular hits. Oh, that's a completely standard DM thing. Th- there have been a couple yeah. times where it's like, you know what? You don't deserve to get crit three times in a row. This character is going somewhere and having them die would just be tremendously inconvenient. It's like, that yeah. was just a regular hit. Yeah, I rolled damage and the attack die at the same time because I just wanted to throw a bunch of dice and make them worried. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to call that a miss so I don't just immediately kill them. But still, you have to admit that there's some sense of danger to the players. Yeah. And sometimes that does mean killing them off. Yeah. For me, it's quite easy because I have two player characters who can take lethal blows and not actually die. But for other people, sometimes you are going to have to kill a character. And that's rough. Oh, no, I murdered our bard because he decided to do a uh, breaking and entering and pick fights and all that. Well, that's his fault. One-on-one combat with a fighter and yeah. Rip. The party found out the next day, oh, there there was a disturbance over here. Yep, we don't know that body. <laughs> let's let's leave town. Not all remembered right. by anybody. So, we've got about we got about uh 14 minutes of show left and we got three more topics to storm through. Well, then let's storm through. So, let's hop on through. So, First things first, the the next step, obviously, after, you know, the players died, you've kind of figured out where things are going to go and how uh, things are going to move on. You are going to have to play therapist to your party for a little bit, and you're also going to have to put some suggestions out there. It depends on how role play heavy you are, because some groups are just like, well, we're dungeon crawlers. He died. He knew what he signed up for. Moving on, chief. But a lot of people especially in modern D&D, like to go for the storytelling experience. They like the, you know, the expanded narrative. Which I think is a great improvement on how old D&D worked. Yeah, I agree. Until the Grog nerds that. Um, but that brings us to the point of what having you do about it. Yeah. There's obviously, you know, there's funerals, there's wakes, there's, you know, a bajillion ways your players could, you know. Send off this character. Do the send off, which is often very therapeutic. And if you've got a very close knit of player characters, like it's a, you know, you put on a little bit of Celine Dion and, uh, you know, you just kind of let it happen and just watch everybody just kind of like, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. We got in a bar fight this one time and he had my back. And we got this other bar fight and he also had my back. And um, the third bar fight he didn't I quite I do have find my it's back, important but. to impress on your players too um, when a death happens that – The character is affected. A, yeah, your character should be affected Unless because – Unless they got a Heart of Stone or are super jaded, they should probably be at least a little bit sad that somebody who had their back, metaphorically speaking and probably literally speaking, is dead. Even if in-game sitting at the table, you know, like they rarely ever had conversations with each other. Maybe they just talked to each other a little bit when group conversations were happening. There's still a lot of dead space that needs to get filled you know, that would be filled by conversation in like non-occurring uh, role play opportunities. For example, you know, you're traveling 40 miles. You've got, you know, about three, you know, two or three days of, you know, rough overland travel to cover. You know, and you're, you're just, probably talking about stuff. Yeah. You're, you know, you're just waving your magic wand as a DM and just saying, yep, you get there. We're going to roll some dice, see if anything happens. But the whole way, you're probably going to be co- having conversations. You know, think of your coworkers, think of other people you know. Like, you're going to talk about stuff even if you don't talk much. You're going to have a decent understanding of who this person is, and you're going to be affected by that loss in some way. So try to impress upon your players that their characters, again, unless they're super jaded, probably have some sort of thought about this person who they were ride and die with is now dead. 
Yeah, when uh, Jake's character died, my cleric stole a boat, stole a small wooden boat, put his body on it, lit it on fire, pushed it out to sea, then proceeded to go back into that dungeon, kicking doors down, and the rest of the party's like, wait, no, we got to think about this tactically. No, my character's out for blood right now. Oh, I'm, I'm going to kick in this door. No, we want to do this. We it should be this. pointed out that we were the two yeah. ringers in a group of brand new players, and they're yeah. like, well, no, we just shouldn't feel feelings. And it's like, this was our leader. Yeah. And that's he not did. me shooting my horn, like, you know. I was the leader of the group, and I died, and I made sure yeah. everybody got taken care of. And they all kind of took that note, and they were like, oh, shit, you're right. Again. Oh, no, we need to stop, and we need to plan this all out. No, I'm going to kick in the door. But moving on. We can also briefly talk, of course, about how quickly player characters get ride or die with each other. But we <laughs> yes. could probably save that for another. Uh, no, that's just kind of a, it's just kind of a hilarious joke. I've never seen Faster Friends in any other th- sort of fiction than – Tabletop, tabletop RPGs. People in a parties. I will die for this person literally five seconds after meeting them. <laughs> now. You ate dinner with us. On to the next bit. Uh, we ain't got another show in until six, so we can we can probably run a little bit over today. Well, let's try to avoid it if we can. But. Yeah. So, making a new character. That is going to take a lot of uh, finesse and gentle hand-holding and love. Uh, depending on the person, because again, unless they're, you know, as we've said a bajillion times, you know, oh, I already got my sheet ready. Normally, a person who has a character die, you know, they're they're going to go through a lot of emotions. Sometimes they're going to be really mad. Sometimes they're going to be really heartbroken. Sometimes they're like, you know, they're like, oh, but I was so excited to, you know, this big plot thing we had planned. And as a DM, it does suck because when that person dies, you're just like, well, tear out the sheet of notes, <laughs> throw it away. Yep. Um, Unless, of course, reviving is possible in your setting. But Yes. Uh, but, you know, in, in the situations where it just can't happen and they have to make a new character, then you've got to work something out. Uh, things I strongly advocate for, spending alone time with that player, uh, you know, going out and, you know, for me, uh, I like going out and getting a couple of drinks with somebody, you know. Uh, Take them to a bar. We have a couple of cocktails. Sit down, you know, and be like, "How do we want to do this? How do we want to make this right in the future?" You know, for other people, it might be like, "Hey, you know, let's you know go for a walk or go do this or you know, just some hobby where it's not the game and it's not on everybody's game time and you're not taking away from everybody else's time." You sit there and you just work with each other and you try to figure out how are we going to introduce a new character, uh, how, what are we going to do different, and how do we tie him into the story? Because how do we introduce this new guy, basically? Yeah, one of the one of the to funnest, become ride or die with. Yeah, one of the funnest challenges of being a DM is introducing that brand new character into the story without it feeling just like, well, here's your new party member, Kith. There's Bob too. Totally the, different from Bob one. Yeah, no, there there are two methods. You could go the uh, beer fest route when landfill died, and <laughs> I'm landfill's twin brother, and he's already told me all about you guys. So. You know, you could just call me Landfill, and we'll, we'll just do this. <laughs> he's faster than he's better than Landfill in every way. Wow, amazing! Um, yeah, there's that method, or or you can come up with, hey, so let's say now you're trying to recruit help, or you set can, up the hiring table. You yeah. can set up the hiring table. You can. You know, if you're going against some evil lord or, you know, whatever your whatever your political dynamic is or whatever the players are questing against, uh, you can try to pull on some obscure lore you got set up uh, or, you know, something kind of common where it's like, I've heard about what you guys are doing, uh, yada, yada, yada. I'm here to help because I just hate him so much. Yeah. Like, we voted for the same president the last four elections and we like all the same restaurants. I'd like to hang out. That guy took my sweet roll. Would you like to go do karate in the garage? Would you like to go mug some bad guys, take their stuff? Sure would. All Regardless. Right. On to the next and final bit about death, and then we're going to cover uh, the Henderson table of plot derailment. Plot derailment. Um, what happens when everybody goofed? This also is a known contentious as topic. The uh, total party kill. TPK for short. I have never had this actually happen to me. Oh, no, sorry. I have had it happen to me once, but it was more that half the party ran away in shame. No, oh, that's. Half of them were dead, half of them ran away and were never seen again. Huh. <laughs> Bold. Uh, I've had two TPKs happen. Uh, 
Uh, one was a self-inflicted TPK, which the, the best pa- kind. Uh, yeah, the party just savagely tore itself apart. Uh, it's what you get for running an evil campaign. It's it's how ninety percent of evil campaigns turn out. I think uh, they just all event like two sides form and then they just rip each other to shreds. Uh, so that happened and then the result for that was just make a new game. But the other TPK was actually very interesting because with the other TPK uh, excuse me <coughs> with the other TPK they died to a minion of the big bad and that actually empowered the minion of the big bad in a way that he went and challenged his boss, boss for that position. And he won. And uh, he was kind of based on uh, – if anybody's played Fallout New Vegas, it was kind of based on the relationship between Kaisar and Lanius. And huh. so Lanius showed up, uh, took his boss's job and then uh, just kind of expedited the whole destruction of everything and being a brutal, ruthless monster of a leader. And then so the next game we did was set 25 years after that happened in this local region where he like everything was just miserable and shit. But it was great, though, because they all had a built in hatred of him and it's and like same players and stuff. And so they were just ready to go up there and, you know, try to punch him in the face again. So. Let's talk about what specifically you're supposed to do after a TPK because I often see a lot of people come on the Facebook group for Dungeons and Dragons 5th and just like, oh, I just killed my entire party. What's next? What do? As always, the answer is there's a lot of things you can do. A lot of conjecture. Um, the big one and the one that a lot of people is going to recommend is send in the search team. Find out what happened to them. Create an entirely new party and have them figure out what went wrong and try to put it right. Not mad at that. I like that. Another one is uh, start a new campaign. Everyone's dead, Dave. Let's try again. Another one is the same thing, except the person who got the entire party killed, they're running now. Their game now. Hmm. Scary. You break it, you bought it. Nacho? Yeah. I see you have uh, some ideas here. Yeah. My personal favorite is if you have a good aligned party, hey, they go to the astral planes and now they have to uh, work out favor with a god to – Bring the party back. Like, yeah, you'll lose what you had on your actual body. The reincarnations of the party later yeah. is what you're saying? And reincarnate them later. If they're evil, then, hey, you're going to have to work something out with the devil. and It's not going to be pretty. Then, yeah, you're going to be paying it back down the road. Yes. More than – what you got out of it? Far more, probably a lot more. It's it's a pretty yeah, full topic. You're, you're you're getting your lives back, so yeah, it's going to be a pretty hefty price. Yeah, there's yeah, it's a pretty full topic, and you know you can always do the you know uh, adventures in the afterlife. You know, it's like oh well, we're finally to our final rest. Not yet, adventurers. <laughs> turns out we need you for another gig up here. It turns out Mega Satan is after you now. Things are getting pretty weird weird in the astral plane. Uh, all right, our last bit for today. If, if everyone dies. If everyone dies. Normally that's a pretty bad thing for your campaign. Judging how screwed your campaign is normally a very difficult thing. But wait, dear friends. There's been a table introduced a long time. It's, it's been around for a long time. At least 2008. Probably uh, older. It's a fantastic piece of DMing equipment and not enough people know about it. Uh, sweet mod, Fado, if you could both share the stories of old man henderson and the henderson scale of plot derailment please into the chat thank you so assuming of course fate is with us today i can't really tell hoping hoping if not we'll share them after the show but here is what uh to sum up quickly of course yeah to sum up briefly because we we've got limited ish time Old Man Henderson is the story, uh, could be real, could be not real, of a player who got so peeved at their DM they made an impressively long backstory for a character in a Cult of Cthulhu game. Uh, what resulted from the shenanigans Call this character – Yes. Or Call of Cthulhu. Trail. Uh, There's lots of cults involved. Yes. Regardless. Yeah, Call of Cthulhu game. Um, what ensued? What ensued was – Basically, the most revenge-tastic shenanigans that a player could put against a GM and ultimately ended in the player beating the GM in a game where the players aren't really meant to win. And that is with a ridiculous character based solely on screwing his game. That's the long short of it. Oh, and we have the 
a rough weight of a cubic inch of flesh? It is 0.021 pounds or 0.0342 ounces. Huh. So you need a lot more cubic inches to be a Thank pound you, of Carrie. flesh. Yes. Thank you, Gary. We look like idiots. Thank you. The more you know. You're right on the internet. We're all going to go crash the truck after this. You've won. So back to <laughs> Old Man Henderson. Bad. Um, yeah, long story short, Old Man Henderson, the most over-the-top epic character ever created just to screw over a player's game or a DM's game. The Old Man Henderson scale of plot derailment describes how badly the plot has been derailed by whatever event has happened. Yes. Uh, Paul, do you have the uh, the chart up so you can briefly break it down for everybody? I do not believe I do, and besides, it's quite long, I'm afraid. But I could tell you you can find it on 1D4chan, which is completely different from 4chan. Don't be afraid of it. Do it's not be just, afraid. This one's innocent. It's just a collation. I would not worry too much about it. Uh, there's negatives and positives, and if you go to 1, the complete plot has been derailed and nothing can be salvaged anymore. And any higher than that is just unseemly and impossible. Except for one man who has entirely destroyed all of psionics and everything well, the DM wanted in his whole world. But that story's on there for you to read. Indeed. Regardless, I believe that's our time for today. Uh, now we're going to go about 10 minutes. I want to get a little deeper into Henderson. All right. Sign with me. I'm actually not a huge fan of the scale because I believe it cheapens how plot impacts the games, but I was told I'd be covering it today. Uh, so. Scale is best. See, have yeah. you even read the story, man? Uh, when, when you know how many points you get for destroying your DM's game, see, why would you, you want to do this? Because though? you see it as a poor tool to measure things, and Nacho sees it as an open invitation to challenge. It's a challenge. So, really quick, why do you think I'm playing a bard? You know, oh, it's Jake. like every it's like every week, Nacho. You just get closer and closer to getting thrown out of my game on this show. Regardless, anyways. So let's talk about basically how the Henderson scale works. Um, so the Henderson scale goes from good stuff to bad stuff. Uh, let's talk about the negative Hendersons. A negative nine Henderson has the hilarious effect of basically the action undertaken has solved every problem in the game's universe for every living and non-living thing in existence. You have somehow literally made the universe perfect. I would not worry too much about that one. It's probably not going to happen. Um, a negative two Henderson is the action somehow set in motion by a chain of events that will fix every problem previously thought of by the GM for all future campaigns. So much so that not even that guy can screw it up. And we all know what that guy means, that rude, annoying player. A negative one, Henderson, is the action has immediately solved the campaign in its entirety. The villain is vanquished, the disaster is averted, and the person in distress is saved. Gather your dice and character sheets. Good game, everybody. It's finger of deathing the big bad and him failing. Yep. You know how it is. The a negative uh, 0.75 Henderson on the negative scale is an action undertaken has caused the party to have to be victorious in all plots whatsoever. Success is only a matter of time. 0.5 is they have solved the current plot and nearly solved the main subplot. And they also have a minutely positive effect on the main plot of the game universe as a whole outside of the party. And the 0.25 on the Henderson scale is the party has just solved a current problem in a way the GM had planned for. And so remember, those were negatives. Yeah, so this is this is the good stuff. This is this is the good side of the Henderson scale. This is where we get to scary stuff. <laughs> a null on the Henderson scale of plot has derailment. no effect on the plot as a whole. Yep. A 0.25 Henderson, the action undertaken has derailed the current trains of thought of all party members and present uh, all party members present and involved in the current plot and derailed the most minute of current subplots, but the game master can easily reroute the party and continue to the end of the main subplot. Otherwise known as when people start talking about random stuff. Talking about random stuff or they just go off, like they get really fixated on a random NPC that you didn't plan on them to and you're just like, all right, we can work around it. A point five. The action undertaken has totally derailed the current plot and has severely screwed with the main subplot, but only has a minor effect on the main plot and the universe outside your party. Really, though, they love that NPC. A lot. The action undertaken has totally derailed the main subplot and any underlying subplots and caused minor consequences to the universe as a whole, but the game master can still make it to the plot's end with some finagling. 
Finesse, if you will. Yes. That is a 0.75 on the Henderson scale. Bring us to one then. And one, and this is where everything has gone wrong. <laughs> I accidentally clicked on the rage, but it's actually a really appropriate article too, is uh, total and complete plot derailment. You can't get back on this plot anymore. It's gone. It's the, – the plot has been completely ruined by whatever actions the player has taken. Moving up, uh, a 1.5 actually is the action undertaken has caused a total party kill. Everyone's dead, Dave. Everyone's dead and it's somebody's fault. Uh, a 1.25 is a special notch on the Henderson scale that is uh, – Achieved under certain conditions by a specific reaction by the GM, the action undertaken has derailed the entire plot, and rather than trying to make a new plot, the game master has just decided to kill everybody. Rocks fall, everybody Everybody dies. dies. And we're going to skip the last couple because we'd like you to look up the stories that inspired this We can do better than just reading off an article to you guys while we sit here. Um, But a double Henderson is a... Henderson, so epic that you have single-handedly forced the DM running the game to never want to pick up a pad of paper or dice again. Well Uh, done, you. You just lost your game, Master. You have (laughs) single-handedly crushed a man's spirit with whatever you've done and ruined the game. Highly advise looking the scale up because it actually – so I, I guess I sit in the middle between Nacho, where Nacho sees it as an open challenge, where, Paul, you find it contentious. I do enjoy looking at it and then just kind of, like, rationalizing what I've seen, what my players have done, and going, okay, that's about where I sit. Okay. And then, you know, helps me silver lining and, you know, refocus and retool. And instead of just being like, God damn it, they love that NBC too much. I hate everything. You got to adapt, improvise, yeah, overcome. But see, I, I kind of follow it moderately. Like I take it as an no, open you challenge, don't. but no, you I'm don't. also just going the most roundabout way to accomplish things. Sure. All right, guys, that is our time for today. A uh, couple of things, really quick. We record out of the podcast studios, uh, podcast, podcast Detroit. Detroit. Studio. We record out of the podcast Detroit studios here at Podcast Detroit in the Royal Oak Studio. Uh, if you're in the southeastern Michigan area and want to start your own podcast, go to podcastdetroit.com. Super easy to do, super cheap, very affordable, a lot of fun. Um, if you enjoyed today's content, please go like our Facebook page, 3DM, uh, facebook.com slash 3DM's podcast. Uh, find us on, we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're basically everywhere except for Spotify because Spotify is a little rude. Uh, and what did we learn today? Death can be terrible. There's always new solutions, and Nacho's a horrible liar. We we, we also learned the uh, weight of a cubic inch of flesh. Yeah, we did. We did. You're the best, Carrie. I believe that's all, then. Seppuku will be in the parking lot. <laughs> See you all next week. But not really. We'll be dead. I'm Jake. I'm Nacho. I'm Paul. Bye-bye, y'all. <laughs>